Hi, thank you for joining us. This Mitadelcom podcast episode has been produced by the Media Diversity Institute Global, which is a member of the Mitadelcom Consortium. Media competencies, media usage data, free speech and freedom of information protections, and media accountability. What do indicators like these tell us about the state of media in Europe? And why are they important for deliberative communications and deliberative journalism? We'll be finding out on this latest Media Delcom podcast with me, Tanya Saksuski, a journalist and Media Diversity Institute Global Communications Manager. This episode will explore some of those topics and issues, which are included in a new ebook produced by Media Delcom. The book is for anyone interested in finding out more about the project, as well as the European media landscape. I recently caught up with Media Delcom team members at a meeting in Warsaw to find out more about the areas they've been examining as part of the project and which feature in the ebook. We start with Tobias Eberwein from the Austrian Academy of Sciences. I asked him why it's important to have an understanding of who a journalist is, especially these days when it's such a broad term. Journalism has a very important social function. We need journalism really to give everybody within society an understanding of what society is, what it means to live together, what is happening in different parts of society. And journalists are certainly the connecting element in this amalgamation of different actors. So journalism is definitely the glue of society that is supposed to keep everything together. So then what is that relationship between the journalists and deliberative communication? Deliberative communication, from our perspective, it means that we involve different actors within society and bring them into a dialogue, right? And as I said, journalism has the function of providing the information for those actors. So, as I said, journalists are the glue that bring the different actors of society together. They are the element that makes the whole thing work. And this is why they are so important for modern democratic societies. And through the Media Delcom project and your research, are they doing a good job? Media Delcom has been a long project. We've been following the different research steps for more than two years now. And I would say... It was a very exciting process uh, because as an international consortium we needed to get to know each other. We also needed to integrate different academic disciplines, maybe different research traditions and this has been a very complicated task at some stages but right now I feel that we reached a, reached a stage where we could develop a common understanding and I'm very proud of what we are actually producing because right now there are fascinating outcomes and I'm very very happy to see that out in a public form in a written form but also in maybe digital formats that might be more relevant for other parts of society. So let's explore some of those research areas Tobias Eberwein spoke about, starting with media accountability. Why is it important and why does it matter for deliberative communications and deliberative journalism? 
Here's Marcus Kreitler, a researcher at the Eric Brost Institute for International Journalism in Dortmund, Germany. Why does media accountability matter when it comes to deliberative communications and deliberative journalism? Well, if you want uh, the media to behave responsibly, I think it's logical to think of Uh, mechanisms with which you can make the media accountable to the public, accountable to any other stakeholders um, in in public communication. And, and media accountability is clearly a tool to do that, or a set of tools to do that. So when we talk about media accountability, what are we talking about? If we are thinking about different mechanisms, I think when we are looking at the European context, we are first and foremost thinking about things like journalistic codes of ethics and press slash media councils depending on the country constellation yeah and generally there are just different mechanisms that you can think of things like ombudspersons on different levels that could be introduced by media companies that could also be introduced by social organizations could be introduced for the media as such we've seen that in some countries so it's it's quite diverse and that's that also makes it quite interesting for us as researchers because we first have to establish what is actually there in the country, what is relevant, and in a second step we can only try to find out, okay, how is the monitoring, uh, how effective is it. What's the state of media accountability in the EU at the moment? It's very mixed. I, th I think it, it also depends on where you com compare it to. The, the concept was very much developed, or the tool set that we're using to analyze it was very much developed against a European or a Western background. Having that in mind, it's quite natural that we do see quite a varied landscape here. We, many of the, the things that we're looking at, we actually find, but there are huge differences between the countries. So if you compare to other world regions, you have to um, think of completely different uh, tools sometimes, and you have to be careful not to be single-minded or not to only look at what you know from the European background. But if we are comparing um, different European countries amongst each other, we see pretty huge differences in how um, established these mechanisms are. There are countries with like very established central organizations like a press council or a media council. Sweden comes to mind, Germany comes to mind as well. And then we have other countries where there has been some some dispute about around the press councils like in Austria where it was only refounded in, in 2010 after years where they didn't have one. Estonia has two which are actually competing which is a very interesting situation. And then there are a number of other countries in our project countries, especially in Central and Eastern, Euro Central Eastern European countries, where there is no central organization. There is often something like an ethics board, which is part of a journalist's union or a journalist syndicate, but it has a different backing than a press council with different groups involved. How important then are these kind of organizations or mechanisms when you're looking at the risks and opportunities for deliberative communication in Europe? Well, first of all, if, if you think about what can media accountability do ideally, um, you have to think of different horizons where you want to look at. So if you are successful in making the media accountable to the public, this may be a countermeasure against things like media distrust. So when the users have the impression that if they come across coverage that they don't like, They can write to a competent body and, and say, well, I, I disagree with this kind of coverage, please do something about it. And then there is some kind of reply and you're already in dialogue. And that, that may already help to produce more trust in the media and to have a more like, like an exchange between uh, the two sides. 
You can also look at it from another angle, that is, in how far do state actors interfere with the media? And there, it, we've also seen that historically, media accountability or self-regulatory mechanisms can be an argument to say, okay, this is already regulated, we've regulated within the profession, there is no need for the state to interfere with the freedom of the press. So that, that can work as a kind of a safeguard, and of course that is, that is very important, um, not to have too much influence of state actors. That would be clearly an, an opportunity. And of course, if you, if you turn the whole argument around, if it's non-functional, if media users feel that there is no way to complain about unfair coverage or things like that, um, that there is no one they could, they could turn to, that they are not really aware of rules that the journalists have given themselves, you run into the problems that we've mentioned, so distrust in the media or a lack of dialogue between both sides. So you're finding that If you don't have this healthy media environment, it's a high risk. There's not an opportunity for deliberation. It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely a risk. If we see the media as an, an infrastructure for public deliberation, that, like the nervous system of society that's trying to bring different views together, um, that's trying to also explain different views to other groups. If you don't trust that nervous system and if you feel disconnected from it, uh, of course, that's, that's, a high, that's a high risk and every kind of mechanism, every kind of practice that helps to bridge this gap and that helps to show different groups that this system is there to combine different views um, is, is actually an opportunity. So let's further explore the role of state actors and focus on the laws national governments have in place to safeguard freedom of speech and freedom of information. Are they effective? Here's Anna Candela, research fellow at Eliamep in Greece. Our results overall indeed highlight the importance of freedom of expression and freedom of information guarantees for, for deliberative communication. We found a lot of variation uh, across countries in terms of the degree of protection afforded in law, but also in terms of actual protection uh, in cases uh, where the law is there, but it's not implemented. So Europe represents a really varied picture of how these constitutional guarantees play out for, for the media. And this is really important because, you know, the EU and the Council of Europe, where most EU countries are, all of them actually, they are party, they, they have tried to streamline and adopt laws that are congruent with these guarantees. But at the end, even if the law is there, the implementation might take us different path. So I think that's the most interesting aspect and should be highlighted in the project. Every country is different, but what sort of picture can you paint about the state of the laws or, or more importantly, as you said, whether or not they're being implemented? If I could make a general remark, I would say that implementation overall is problematic. Uh, that's 
an overall uh, observation. We have countries where in implementation of, uh, of the laws addressing the media and in particular freedom of expression and freedom of information guarantees works well, uh, even though the laws are not really thick or detailed, like in Sweden, for instance. And then you have, at the other extreme, countries like Romania or Greece, for instance, where you have really, really detailed laws that really touch on every little aspect of the media and media market and ownership, and yet no implementation whatsoever. So implementation overall problematic, but yes, there are good examples which we can look at. Can deliberative communication and even deliberative journalism survive without this protection? I am in favor of uh, regulation and uh, I think that without these core constitutional guarantees, the media and journalists would not be able to, to perform the role safely and regardless of the political environment in the country. It might happen that without regulation in a particular country, for a particular period, journalists can be free and safe. But if things change, that's not going to happen. So these constitutional provisions give safety and space to journalists and the media to work regardless of the political situation. And we see that now clearly with some countries where parties in government they want to control the media by changing the laws and the regulations. So what should we be keeping an eye on? Keep an eye on the EU <laughs> at the moment. Having realized um, the importance of media regulation on the one hand, and on the other hand that this is a national competence in a way, they're trying to find ways to, to streamline the protection. So there is a lot to be done and the EU is really keen at the moment to find ways to ensure that protection is not harmonized, but the standards of protection in, in the EU is developed in a similar way. Also because journalism is changing at the moment, like really, really uh, with the platforms and everything. So I guess okay, the national context is important and national regulation is important, but now the EU is trying to take the lead in that area. So where do we, media consumers, come into this? A lot of information is gathered on how we access news and information, where, when and for how long, what we prefer and what we don't. But how is that information used and what has it got to do with the risks and opportunities for deliberation? Ragnar Kutz-Klem is Associate Professor in Sociology of Journalism at Tartu University in Estonia. Across the EU, there's a lot of information collected about people's media usage. What don't we know? We do not know actually what meaning media has for people, uh, how it is really used in their everyday lives and uh, how media can empower uh, citizens to be better citizens, to be informed, to participate in the democracy and, and so on. Actually, we know the facts about uh, media usage, how, what kind of uh, sources uh, they are using, uh, what kind of channels they prefer, how long they read uh, news, but uh, how they use it. 
It is the question. You found that data collected is rarely used to create what you call a common good. How could it be used to create a common good? What are you talking about? The common good would be when uh, all people are informed and uh, participate in democracy. And uh, it means that um, uh, when people are um, following news, are interested in news, and and in this sense um, it is really useful to know, uh, is there interest in news at all? Because as we know, there is uh, this kind of tendency that we see in uh, European countries, there are more and more news avoiders, and then we should ask, is it possible that they contribute into our common concerns uh, in our democracy? You've also noted that the data collection is big business. Is it realistic to expect all of these companies or all these different organizations are actually going to share their information? Or it is really realistic to, to expect it. Um, but I think actually it can be and it is actually interest of uh, media companies as well that this uh, political um, and economic environment w- would support that people are using media and using quality media. So um, in this sense they should be interested that at least some information about the media usage patterns shared with policy makers and decision makers because uh, then it is possible to see where are the problems in this uh, media environment and to change it. The Mediadelcom project, you have made a quite interesting uh, finding or you've mentioned that not all big companies or data collectors are able to analyse and use their information to further their strategies. Can you just explain that a little bit more? Data is really rich data and you can really analyse it thoroughly. But uh, usually they make a list of uh, the most read articles and the stories that get the most attention. And it, it is really simple to use it this way. And, um, and actually we know that um, uh, some companies are interested to, to see what is ex- exactly in this uh, news content uh, that uh, readers want to read and how it is possible to present information, important information, so that readers can understand it and use it as, as important. So many companies actually make this really uh, simple analysis, but to, to uh, try to see patterns behind the user's attention, uh, it is not uh, really used for that. So staying with us, media consumers, how important is it that we have media literacy or media competencies? Here's Ilva Skulti, Deputy Associate Professor at Riga Stradens University in Latvia. I think that the main keyword here is ecology. We are living in a world, everyone is living in a world that that is actually consisting of different media, new and old media, social media and uh, traditional media, and actually understand elements of competences and understand the specifics of those different media is very important to act both in terms of citizenship and in terms of just personal life is I think very important so 
we need media-related competences and we need to teach and uh, monitor media-related competences in the countries just because we are living in the environment that is media saturated, so to say. I think we've all heard about the problems of fake news, misinformation, disinformation. So obviously there is a relation between media competencies and perhaps a healthy democracy. Is that what you're finding? Yes, but I would also say that we probably are um, using those keywords and then we only are on the surface of the problem. So what I think is important for people working at academia and uh, researchers, not only academical researchers, but also, for example, those who are working for particular non-governmental organizations, is to go into depth of problems. So I think the field of media-related competences or media literacy as it's called or media education as it's called in uh, different countries differently, all those concepts are related to, to the what we live in and uh, we actually uh, need to study them uh, just because we somehow missing parts of this continuum. Of literacy, if you understand what I mean. So we actually concentrate on some aspects that seem to us more important at particular periods of time. For example, in the beginning of 2000s, it was digital literacies, like developing new digital media. Everyone was talking about digital literacy or digital literacies. After, let's say, some kind of, especially in Eastern Europe, Central and Eastern Europe, some kind of geopolitical problems, uh, people concentrated more on disinformation and fake news and things like that and now we are somehow going from one direction into other from one side to another side and missing the ball so i think the most the biggest challenge for people involved in media related competencies research around uh, europe and the world is to somehow understand this system behind understand the wall and of course why this question can be only answered uh, in the context of democracy. So if we don't understand the wall system, if we only concentrate on particular elements or surface, we will never be able to act democratically, seriously, consciously, deliberatively. Sometimes in the countries, uh, we only think that every discourse on competences is about school. So we concentrate on how we can change the education system to get everyone actually educated about media, etc., etc. But that's not true because the media are changing. Also for people who are 40, 50, 60 and 80. So if you just imagine uh, the situation of 70 old people in European countries and there is more and more people who are somehow out of any education system and cannot be educated about those new developments in media ecology. I think it's more and more important to talk about different other groups, not only pupils and children and uh, those who are in, in schools and education places, and about particular groups of people who are actually having influence in the media sphere, like for example media owners or politicians. My guess is that they are also lacking media literacy, media related competences. So if they don't know how media system is structured and only consider media as an instrument, 
like a lot of politicians and media owners actually do, uh, instrument for their own influence or their ideological background to be spread out in more particular and more effective way, then I think it's again the problem. So I think we have to think also about different groups of people involved into media development and educate first them and then others. As well as analysing the risks and opportunities for deliberation, the Media Delcom project is designing a diagnostic tool. Research fellow Al Matthews explains. Yeah, the tool is different from some of the more conventional approaches that are taken. It takes advantage of some of the modern technology we have nowadays with computers, where we can simulate different scenarios. So we can take quite a large number of inputs, or in different terms, features that we understand about the, the different media systems within the different countries. And uh, we can simulate how, under both hypothetical and real conditions, how the um, media might react to that, how the systems might react to that. So what will it actually do? The goal there is to try and uh, better understand what might cause or influence things like deliberative communication, and as well as that, the opposite, what might actually damage it or might work against it. So, for example, we might want to include you know, the number of journalists that might be in a country or the proportion of journalists relative to the population how increasing that might change things or how increasing the level of education they might have could uh, change things. But also the people who use the media as well, the consumers. So if they're better educated, how might they behave? And then we we could introduce other agents to the systems like um, whistleblowers would be one example or uh, media monitors, those type of things as well to see how they might help change what's going on. How's it going to revolutionise things? It's, it's going to change things from an academic point of view because it's a... Uh, it's a different approach than some of the more traditional, if that's the right word, approaches, which can often be focused maybe uh, on a very structural way of looking at things, maybe with a lot of equations. And this um, approach gives us more of an opportunity to uh, look at the individuals and the different agents that are within a system and understand their behavior and how they interact with each other. So it should bring a new perspective to things. Well, I hope this podcast has helped explain more about the project and what you can find in the ebook. So I would really recommend you check it out. I'd like to thank my guests and, of course, you for joining me for this Media Delcom podcast produced by Media Diversity Institute Global. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed this episode, please like and share it. We look forward to your company next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.